This podcast is brought to you by Grandpa Still Remembers. Grandpa Paul's practical parables are part of his real-life experiences. What is learned from the life we live has a lot to do with the perspective that defines our priorities. What is remembered is colored by our perception of the purpose for which we have the privilege of living in the first place. Abrahamo gets old. I think Abrahamo was first hired by Mr. Miller, maybe in the late 1940s, because I recall he was there when I learned from Miss Stewart, my first grade teacher, how to date my arithmetic papers. 1948 was part of the date. Fifty years later, he literally fell into our kitchen when he came to visit us. We had returned to Raithi after our Zaire evacuation a couple of years earlier, and Abrahamu had finally become very old. Ngelingeli anali yakujaku kisomo sasa. Ngelingeli anali yakujaku kisomo sasa. Kuja kuja mbiu 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 usi waya waya. The ringing clang of Abrahamu's iron rod and the rusty brake drum was an integral part of each school day at Raithi. He used the chant to inform us that the bell was ringing. The bell was ringing. Come to school now. Come, come. Hurry, hurry, hurry. We needed to come immediately and not delay. Actually, we could fool around a little, because we weren't really late unless we were not in our seats the second time he rang the bell. When he was young, he used a slender switch to chase us to school, apparently not satisfied with the speed of our response to his summons. It was a little like a game between us, as was our efforts to steal the bell-beating rod from him. Abrahamo was a school janitor at Raithi during my childhood. I had no watch, but I knew I would be late if I wasn't in my seat when he rang the second bell. He must have wound up his clock every day and adjusted the time to Mr. Miller's watch, because he was never late. Abrahamo's faithful work at the school and his ringing of the bell we will never forget. The school had open fireplaces in each room because it was often cold at Raithi, a boarding school for MKs that was located in an elevation of about 6,800 feet in the northeast Belgian Congo. Abrahamu did all the cleaning at the school and made fires in each classroom as needed. He had a place where he kept his supplies. His hoarded scrap paper used to start the fires overflowed his little storeroom. I think that is where he kept the bell-ringing bar that we tried to steal. He kept his wood room out back filled with the best split wood from the dorm woodpile. On cold, wet days, there was always a fire in each classroom fireplace. In his room, he also had a supply of sawdust and a container of kerosene to mix with it. He sprinkled a damp mix all over the floor before he began sweeping up the dried mud that was found under every desk and chair. He had in one hand a bundle of broom straws bending low to sweep as he worked towards the front of the room, tipping up each chair and desk in turn with the other hand. He had a good system, and the kerosene in the sawdust kept the dust down. From our perspective, the floors were always clean. Abrahamu had a sideline, the construction of bows and arrows for us boys. He seemed to have an endless supply, and a good percentage of the arrows flew straight and true. 
We tested the arrows, shooting them straight up and watching them as they flew and came back down. He could supply 200 arrows on fairly short notice. Locking and unlocking all the school doors was a job he took very seriously. The bundle of keys grew until they no longer fit in his pocket, so they hung from a belt loop, swinging and jingling as he walked or ran. The keys wore holes in his shorts, which were repeatedly patched. The handmade stitches wove in and out, holding the successive layers of patches on top of the older ones. It became difficult to distinguish between the original material and the patches, but his shorts were always clean. It was impossible for us to steal his keys, but the school was always opened on time, and he was never sick. Abrahamu took a personal interest in his kids, instructing each of us who left Raithi to go to America to go to university, marry a wife, and come back to Raithi to work. Of course, he objected very loudly when David said he thought he would get two wives. Abraham was committed to obeying God, and he began a loud lecture in Kingwana, of course, about the evils of having two wives. No, I'll get three, David said. Stirring up Abrahamu was part of our interaction with him. He had come to the dorm at the end of the term, as he so often did, to see if the big boys had any shoes for him. He didn't seem to care if they fit or not. They must have had some sort of trade value. I went to America, completed high school, went to Wheaton College, and courted my wife. In 1960, the people of Congo were granted independence. During the power struggle that followed independence, the expatriates fled as the Simbas targeted them and any who associated with them. Those who had not escaped in time were captured, abused, and even killed. Widespread destruction and looting of anything of value focused on the vacant mission stations. It was an effort to drive out the foreigners, destroy their teachings, remove the influence of those who had believed in their God. Many of the churches were actually strengthened by the persecutions. Abrahamu was known to have the keys of the school, known to be the one who took care of the school. I heard later that he was cruelly beaten and commanded to deny his belief in Jesus, the God of the hated white man. He refused to deny Christ. When the missionaries later returned, he told his story, openly lifting his shirt to show the scars that were still on his back. He had remained faithful to God. When I came back from America, I had gone to university, but I hadn't yet gotten a wife. And I hadn't come to work at Raithi, but I was met by Abrahamu. I had just traveled across Uganda and was headed to my home at Banda for Christmas with my parents. I stopped at Raithi to see my sister. Abrahamo was checking on what I was doing. He strongly reprimanded me for not fully following his instructions when I had left Congo nine years earlier. Why was I working in Kenya? Where was my wife? Why had I left her in America? Where was his gift? What was Lester doing? What about Peter, Gary, and Freddie? Had they forgotten him? He finally understood that my fiancé was finishing her nurse's training at West Suburban Hospital School of Nursing. I was working in Kenya and had one more year at Gatumayo High School at Kagwe. I planned to get married when I went back to America. Didn't take him long to switch from asking questions to assume the role of one who told his kids what to do. Utakwenda America, utakamata bibi yako, alakini, utakwenda Kenya, utakwenda Tanzania, 
utakwenda Uganda utarudi hapa 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 tu there was absolutely no misunderstanding his desire he had repeated his normal instructions but added with all the emphasis he could that i was not to go to kenya not to tanzania not to uganda but to return here 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 only rathi he was standing and pointing at me emphasizing everything he said with vigorous gestures he bent down and hit the ground repeatedly as he said hapa 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 retitu there was no ambiguity when god calls us it isn't always expressed so strongly in tongues but i did go back to america marry my wife and return to rathi to work there for over 30 years abrahamo was still working as the school janitor ringing the same bell chasing kids to school and making fires on cold rainy days when my first child went to school abrahamo was still ringing the bell every school day He rang the bell during the entire time my children were at Rathi. He had his picture in every school yearbook of the Kasuku that included pictures of the faithful staff. We never thought of the workmen getting older. For many years Abrahamo continued to work faithfully. Though his responsibilities were at the school building, he always had time to come to the dorm and mingle with the dorm workmen. He could easily be distracted from loading up more firewood. to add his supplies for fires at the school his hearty laugh was frequently heard in the kitchen where the dorm workers shared the leftovers after dorm meals whenever available the cooks also saved all the used tea leaves and coffee grounds they were continuously added to the small aluminum souffre of water simmering on the back of the big wood stove the cooks called the special blend chawa created from the swahili words chai and kahawa elen also gave the cooks a canister of sugar so abrahamus chawa was no doubt loaded with sugar most of the people around rathi were subsistence farmers depending on their large gardens for a living they took some of their crop to the marketplace to sell and immediately bought what they needed either from other growers or from the traveling vendors who set up their displays on the tables provided for them there they might go to the area where used clothing from the states was being sorted to see if they could find something they needed the owners were there checking all the pockets to see if there was any money to be found in the suit jackets they had ceased to marvel at the huge sizes of the pants and shirts they found in the mix Sometimes there was enough money left to stop at the shops in Kwanderma to buy clothes, kerosene, or maybe even some rhino chai. Buying a new cloth for their wife was normally done only once a year near Christmas. Saving money in a bank was not possible as no bank existed. Now Abraham was privileged to have a wage-earning job as well and was seen by his relatives to be a source of money. the wages to be paid to various employees with different levels of training and years of experience was dictated by the government but rarely updated as the zaire continued to depreciate we made wage adjustments using our cost of living revision factor seeking to provide a living wage abrahamu as one of the employees paid by the dorm participated in the income sharing agreements that they had worked out among themselves to help benefit each employee in turn 
This could result in having enough money to purchase a radio, for example. Abrahamu brought a bundle of money to Ellen one day and told her to hold it for him and not give it to anybody, even if he was beaten. Apparently, he had been the one who received money from his fellow workers that month. Ellen placed the money in the homemade dorm safe. We heard a story that his son had attempted to repair radio and failed. The radio owner accused him of taking parts from his radio to fix his own. Since Abraham was known to have money, they wanted to force him to pay. They probably found out that Madame Brown had Abrahamu's money, so they never asked. Abrahamu's money was later returned to him when he wanted it. Though Abrahamu remained faithful at his job, it eventually became evident that his cleaning standards did not measure up to the expectations of the new principal. He did not have the firewood, kindling, and tinder always laid ready to be ignited by the teachers when they felt they needed a fire. There was apparently a difference of opinion as to which days a fire was needed. Perhaps the old man was conserving firewood, reducing the number of times he had to go to the dorm to bring back a wheelbarrow load of it. He may have been finding it more difficult to split the necessary kindling. When the fire he had laid the previous day had been burned to ashes, he had more work to do before ringing the bell for the kids to come to school on a cold day. Though Abrahamo was faithfully coming to work every school day, he was getting old. Was it possible that he could no longer see the dirt the new principal saw as his failure to do his job properly? Had the expectations as to how often fires were needed increased? While waiting for some dorm leftovers was his falling asleep in the kitchen an indication that he was just too tired to keep up. Maybe there just wasn't enough sugar in his chawa. Is it enough just to be faithful? Doesn't he still need to do his job? What are God's expectations of his servants? Are we not to be faithful to the end and continue to do what he gives us to do? What is faithfulness? You've been listening to Paul's Parables, stories conveying a spiritual lesson from the perspective of a foreign culture.